set up here. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, the text will also be projected for you. Right, so what we've been doing is working through this great book of Daniel, and, and last week we saw Daniel confess his sin, and which is shocking, really, if you followed the story of Daniel. He seems like he's just an above-board guy, and yet here he is saying, I too need salvation, I need help, I need forgiveness, I need mercy. And so today what we're going to do... Um, Right? There's a purpose to that prayer. His, Daniel's desire is he wants to go home. He wants to be, come home from Babylon to Jerusalem, and that's his hope. That's what he's waiting for, and that's what he's longing for. And so in response to his prayer, God says, here's what's coming in the future, and it's not the future you imagined. It's better, <laughs> even though it's a bumpy ride to get there. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, these mysterious 70 weeks. It's, it's apocalyptic communication. Um, we're going to focus on what's the most clear <laughs> this morning. So God willing, it'll be helpful and, and convicting and encouraging. So let's pray. Father God, you give us wisdom uh, and understanding. You teach us about what you're up to, and, and we know we need your spirit to, to fill us so that we can live by faith as Daniel did. As we live by faith, waiting to see you bring sin to an end, uh, to see your kingdom come, uh, to see our tears wiped away, uh, to, to see you work that good, uh, even through the great evil and harm we, we're struggling through. So I pray you would grow us into your ambassadors, your witnesses of Jesus today, and, and that this would be a time of great rejoicing because our sin is covered and that you are with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I'll start with a question. What have you been waiting for anxiously, uh, maybe achingly so, in the last year or two? Right? I mean, tonight's the Super Bowl. Maybe you're just waiting for Tom Brady to retire and stop getting the Super Bowl already. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's snowing, so you're waiting, waiting for the thaw. We've got uh, COVID, right? That's the obvi obvious one. We just want, want the room to be full. We want to see each other. We want to have hugs. We want to be human again. Um, people have been longing and aching for justice, right? Uh, whatever form of justice that is to them, but they're longing for saying, something's wrong with this world. I want it to be fixed. Um, when you're sick... You can't wait to be strong again. When you're grieving, you can't wait to see the sunrise and enjoy it again. When you're parenting, right, there's stages, the terrible twos. You, know, you can't wait to get through that stage that goes into the terrible thirties, right? It never ends. We're constantly waiting for the next thing. That's the point. And there's this great image in the scriptures that, that describes waiting. It's from Psalm 130. Uh, we were called to wait and hope like the night watchman. Right? And if you're a night watchman, a security guard who's working at night, and you know the dark is a dangerous place, that's when you can't see the danger coming, and that's why you have a job. <laughs> and so morning, that's your hope. Right? You can't wait for the, the sun to shine again. And for Daniel, 
And the Babylon, uh, the Israelites in Babylon, their 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 hope, their longing, what they're waiting for is God fulfill your promise to bring us home. That's why Daniel's praying. Right? I want to go home. I want to see God, your people, restored. I want to see worship back to normal. We want normal again. Right, and just you can get a picture of how much, how deep Daniel's ache is from verse 21. Because Daniel's, it tells you when he's praying. He's praying at the time of the evening sacrifice. There is no evening sacrifice because the temple's destroyed. Which means at the end of his life, you know, maybe 70 years, he's still organizing his, his day his hopes, his routine, his habit, as if he were at home. Right? He's still living and praying as if God wasn't absent you know, in his experience, as if the temple wasn't destroyed. So you can see his ache, his, ong- his longing. You know, right? He knows that promise. I, the Lord says, I have plans for you. They're plans for your well-being not for evil to give you a future and a hope, and the moment is now, and that's why Daniel's praying. And so that, I want to put all that in that context, because when you come to the 70 weeks, it's easy to get distracted by all the, the strangeness, that the, that the purpose of this vision is to, to show Daniel, this is what you ought to be waiting for, this is what's coming. You want this, I want you to see that this is coming and this is better at the end of these 70 weeks. Right? And really, what Daniel's shown is underneath all the longings and hopes and waiting that we have as Christians. Right? That suffering in whatever form would come to an end, that justice would come into this world, that, that we'd get to see God at work, dramatically so. Right? And so what I'm hoping as we look at this briefly, this 70 weeks, Right, that you can respond in your waiting with, with faith. Because these are the things we're waiting for. I mean, one, one Christian wrote this eloquently. He said, we want to trust that our suffering, our trouble, is a part of God's loving care for his people. And that we ultimately, at the end of all things, will see it as an unasked for gift. Even if you're perplexed right now. Right. He wrote that from a wheelchair paralyzed for his whole life, for most of his life. And so, if God's plan is to give us a future and a hope, to give it to God's people, right, what is that hope? And that's what we want to look at here. What did Daniel see? What did he, how does that help us as Christians then too, as we wait and as we long and as, as we live in this world? And so I got a couple points here. What I want to start with is let's learn to navigate the numbers in Daniel 9 the way Jesus did, right? Because that, that's the question. This passage is notorious. I mean, if you try and read any kind of literature on what does the 70 weeks mean, you could come up with any number of answers, right? It's, as one person put it, it's like slogging through a dismal swamp. Right? It's, it's slow going, trying to figure out what's going on. Because everyone wants to know, what does the 70 weeks mean? I mean, it could be 77s. It could be 490 years. Are the days literal? Are the weeks literal? Are they symbolic? 
And if they are symbolic, what are they symbolizing and how long? Right? Is this just for Daniel waiting for the Messiah? Or is this going to the church age to affect us as Christians? And then everybody comes to this passage armed with their own form of messianic math, trying to figure out the answer. And um, there's charts. You can go find charts. Just Google it. I'm not going to go through charts. Um, but what, I, what I've noticed is it's really hard to make the math add up in any sort of way that makes math teachers proud. <laughs> it's hard because I, th- I don't think the math is the point. The, this is apocalyptic communication. It's God is deliberately vague with timing. He wants you to see an impression of here's the things I want you to wait for. And you notice uh, when you're reading about Jesus, he's comfortable with the ambiguity, with the timing. Right? You go to Matthew 24, 15. Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation from Daniel. That's here in verse 27 of chapter 9. And he says that refers to the destruction of Jerusalem. That we know happened in 70 AD, but Jesus even then doesn't give a date. He just says it's going to come sometime in this generation. And he was cool with the, the, the lack of clarity. And then later at the end, too, when he's talking about the end of all things, right? What does Jesus say about when will these things happen? He says, I don't know. No one knows that except my Father in heaven. The timing. No one knows, not even the Son. Because right? we're called to live by faith. And so if Jesus is looking at these numbers and these uh, prophecies in Daniel, because chapter 10 through 12 is about the end of all things, and we'll talk about that, and he's comfortable with not knowing the timing, we, we just have to be comfortable with the lack of specificity. Right? I don't know every last nitty-gritty detail, not with any form of <laughs> real confidence. And that's okay, because what's clear is enough to, to carry you through each day. What we know is the Messiah is coming, and what the Messiah is going to do is going to bring hope, what to wait for. And so as we look into what to wait for, I would just argue and give you some of that pastoral counsel that there is enough good news in in this section explaining what's going to happen in these 77s, these 70 weeks, to know that God has made a promise, he's fulfilled it in Jesus, and he will fulfill it at the end. So, process the numbers like Jesus. I'll just plant that seed. You know, he's, he's comfortable with it. And then we ask, what are we waiting for? What's Daniel being shown? Right? So, verse 24, about the 70 weeks, and you should, if you have a Bible, there's usually a little uh, footnote there that says sevens. It's 70 sevens, uh, 70 time periods. Right, verse 24 just tells you where history is headed. It covers that whole time period. Right? And so what I want to do is focus on these six things. This is, this is the Christmas list right, of what God's going to do. Right? So if you're reading along here, right, it's 70 weeks are decreed. This is God's plan about your people. It's about Daniel's people, the Jews, and your holy city, which is Jerusalem to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, 
to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. And then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. <laughs> I'll just pause there. We'll, we'll read the, the last two in a bit. Right? So, you're reading this, okay, in sometime in these 70 weeks, just going to finish the transgression, to which we go, okay, whose? Right? I mean, it seems like it's talking about God's people's transgression, right? But it also referred to Antiochus in chapter 8. It was, his actions were described as the transgression. Daniel confessed his transgressions. We read Psalm 51 this morning where David confessed his. You know, what is it referring to? And one of the things that I found helpful to help make sense of this list is the Bible has three main words to describe what's wrong with human beings. It's transgression, sin, and iniquity. It's repeated over and over again. We read it in Psalm 51. Brandon talked about it in Exodus 34, right? When God says, I am a God who forgives transgression, sin, and iniquity. Right? So what's the difference? Why do you use three different words? Well, transgression is just rebellion against God. It is our willful decision to do what we want regardless of what our Creator says regardless of what our Redeemer says, the one who rescued us, right? It's rebellion, it's, it's treason, right? Then there's the famous word for sin, and, and sin often means just to miss the mark, right? It, it can be, you know, the goal is to love your neighbor. You tried, and you, went, you shot to the left, you shot to the right, right? You had good intentions, and even with your good intentions, you didn't quite live up to it, right? There's, there's that, I broke the law for sure, but you can break the law through <laughs> not doing it, not doing it well, or just doing it in the completely wrong way. And all it is is to say, right, when you sin, right, I'm not God-centered with my thoughts, words, and deeds, and I fall short. Then the, the big word, iniquity, an old word we don't talk about or hear much, has to do with our nature, right? our, our natural corruption. Our, it's about this distortion that we have where life is all about me and not about God and his world. Right? That's why Martin Luther said sin is just ourselves curbed in on ourselves. We're just, I can't not think about me and I think about me too much. And I've been that way my whole life since conception. Right? Because I'm just like Adam. And so you, you, you put all that together. It's not a pretty picture of what people are like by any means. But it seems like God's plan in the 70 weeks is to start healing what's wrong with God's people. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. Everything Daniel just confessed. I mean, to finish the transgression, you know, to put an end to sin. That's what, that's what Daniel's called to wait for. I mean, just imagine that. No more human beings 
living for themselves. <laughs> no more conflict. You know? Social media where you could actually have a conversation <laughs> without getting blasted. Um, and of course, the, the third one is to atone for iniquity. That all the damage that, that we have done by nature and by choice, all the misery we've caused, God says, I'm going to cover that up to be buried, to be hidden. I'm going to forgive it. I'm going to pay the cost. Iniquity is going to be dealt with. Right? For God's people and all the citizens of God's city, iniquity atoned for. Like I said, there's enough here to get your, your hopes up. <laughs> of course, again, in the 70 weeks, they're going to bring in everlasting righteousness. And it's vague about what that means, but we know that righteousness is good, it's justice, and it's going to last forever. It's going to keep going. Right? So it's not just about stopping the bad and forgiving the bad. It's about instituting a whole new way of living. Um, righteous, as God is Righteous. Fair. We read about, or we sang about um, doing things with equity, with fairness. See, I think everlasting righteousness seems to be a way that the Bible talks about God's rule and God's character. Doing what is right. And if we're following with Daniel, and Daniel's reading Jeremiah, and that's what it says he's doing, there's some beautiful promises about the Lord and his righteousness and his rule in Jeremiah when it says the days are coming when a king, someone from David's family line is going to reign and he's going to execute justice and righteousness. And the name that he will be called by is the Lord is our righteousness. That's Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. So it's still a little bit of vague, but it seems like if God's going to institute everlasting righteousness through his city in Jerusalem where he's always had a king and he's promised to have a king forever, God's going to set up a king who actually does what is right for everyone and imitate his God. <laughs> the city in Jeremiah 33 gets the same name. The Lord is our righteousness. Um, what I do is I don't know how much Daniel knew about these things, but if we have a, the perspective of the bigger picture of what the scriptures teach, right, you just start looking for the righteousness passages of what the future will be like in the Old Testament, and it gets your hopes up. Justice will roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream from the book of Amos. Right? That's what Martin Luther King quoted as longing for justice and fairness. Um, a lion lying down with the lamb. This king is going to take notice of the poor and powerless. He's going to comfort all who mourn in Isaiah 61. He's going to send good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, here's, here's what I'm trying to get us to think about. I mean, we just know everlasting righteousness is coming, that it's not enough. God's not satisfied with just forgiving you. He wants to change his people. And the change will be permanent. 
right? So when, when I was in seminary, we used to learn these four ways of processing human nature, right? In, in the Garden of Eden, it was possible for you to sin. It was possible for Adam and Eve not to sin. And then after Adam and Eve chose to sin, right, it's impossible for us to not sin. Right? It's just in our nature. And when Jesus comes and he forgives us and the Holy Spirit fills you, you then now have that ability, God-given ability again, to choose the right. Even if you do it imperfectly, you ha still have God's help and delight in that, right? You can choose the right. So we, we see this in part. But what we long for is everlasting righteousness when sin will be undone forever. And when in heaven the new heavens and new earth, we, we will not be able to sin because when we see Jesus, we'll be like him. And this says it's everlasting. <laughs> Something to hold on for. Number five, seal both vision and profit. And this one's a little bit vague, but to seal something, right, is to give it the king's mark. Right, so... This came from God. This is his will. This is his plan. He's, he's sealing the vision. He's sealing the thing. This, this is my servant, Daniel. Right? I mean, God, in many ways, is staking his reputation on these things being true. This is the, the will of God the king. I think that's one way to look at it. Like I said, the, the words, this is apocalyptic literature, so you just kind of have to meditate on it. Another way to think about sealing something is to bring it to an end. You finish it. When Jeff Butler finishes the project and he closes his toolbox and seals it shut, the job is finished. <laughs> so perhaps, right, I won't tell you when I'm confident and when I'm not here, perhaps I think this is saying that there's going to be no more visions when the perfect comes. Because there's not going to be a need in the future for God to communicate through vision and profit. Which we know that now in Jesus, right? In the past, he communicated in these different ways. Now he's communicated more clearly, most clearly, through his son, Jesus. Visions will be obsolete after 70 weeks. There's not going to be a need for a prophet. Because part of the new covenant, according to Jeremiah, is God's law is going to be written on the heart. You're actually going to want to do the right. Right? Prophets, that's what they do. They say, hey, you're not doing it. <laughs> Knock it off. Here's what God said. Right? He points people to God's word, but if it's inscribed on your heart, you don't need a prophet. Because one day we'll be righteous as God is righteous. So perhaps that this, was, this is what it's alluding to, when God won't need to send prophets to correct the behavior of God's people. And that's the story of the Old Testament. If you want to get depressed, well, Derek Thomas, the Welsh theologian, said, and I'm not even going to try his accent, but don't preach a long series to Jeremiah. There's a lot of judgment. <laughs> and Jeremiah's crying, and it's just not a pretty picture. But this seems to be saying that day will come to an end. How? Well, verse 6, anoint something that is most holy. And that language of the most holy described the part of the temple where only the high priest could go, where the Ark of the Covenant is, God's throne. Right? It, it could be a person, place, or thing. That's part of the ambiguity here. 
But in the vision, when you get more clarity, it's a person who's anointed, a Messiah. So, Daniel's being said, guess what? The Messiah is coming. An anointed one who is most holy. That's the Ark of the Covenant, is most holy. You know, it's God's, the holy of holies. And if you put that in the long context of the long list, it seems to be that instead of going to this imperfect place, you're going to be able to go to a person with your sin, with your moral failure. But, you know, I, I say that now with the point of clarity. <laughs> Daniel wouldn't have seen it that way. See, Daniel wanted the temple to be restored. And God turns to Daniel and says, no, you want something better. You want Christmas to be when you get back to Jerusalem, but I'm going to show you the real Christmas. And it put an end to sin. Seventy years were a part of the plan. Right? Guess what? There's 70 more sevens. <laughs> There's seven more seventies, I should say, until that plan is complete. And so this is the story we're a part of that we've inherited from Daniel. And this is what we're called to wait for. That's why I said, before we get into any of the nitty-gritty, and I'm not going to spend that long on it because it's, it's hypothetical, there's enough here to get your hopes up. So focus on that. <laughs> all right? I mean, several years ago, all right, I was reading a missionary devotional that just, it just burned into my brain, and it was meditating on Psalm 130. Right? And this missionary in, in Bundibugyo, Uganda, is... is just come through an Ebola outbreak. She was a medical missionary. She just lost a close colleague and friend in the middle of this pandemic. And she's reading a kid's book called Tales of the Kingdom. And in the, the story, the night watchmen every night as they walk past each other, how goes the world? And they call back, the world goes not well, but God's kingdom comes. The world goes not well, but the kingdom comes. That's the message of the 70 weeks. The world goes not well, but God's kingdom is coming. And like Psalm 30 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord more than the night watchman waits for the morning because with him is plentiful redemption, meaning it's, it's abundantly generous and over the top. He's not just going to forgive. He's going to do more. Why? Because he's merciful. For with the Lord is steadfast love. He will keep his promise. And so that's what this vision is for. It's teaching you and I to put all of our waiting under the umbrella of these big things. That these are, This is what we're waiting for. And this is our hope that the Lord God himself is a loyal, he has a loyal, loving refusal to leave his people alone. He will not abandon them. That's our hope. That's what we're going to taste this morning when we come to the table. All right. So let's take a couple minutes to try and chart a path through the 70 weeks, and then we'll, this will lead us straight to the table, and we'll, we'll take communion this morning. All right. This is teaching us and maybe even correcting our hopes, right, to not get too much of our hopes planted on this earth, but to, to wait for God to bring in everlasting righteousness. But here's what God's people did when they received Daniel's vision. 
they structured the whole Old Testament in light of, to say, wait for this to happen. Right? In the, in the Hebrew Old Testament, the last book of the Bible isn't Malachi, it's Chronicles. And Chronicles ends with what Daniel tells us to start waiting with, which is the decree from the pagan king to go and restore Jerusalem. Right? So if you're reading 2 Chronicles 36, it says, Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that the word of the Lord to Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Right? Cyrus says, the, the Lord has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he told me to build a house at Jerusalem. Whoever is among his people, may the Lord God be with him, go up to Jerusalem. See, the Old Testament ends with this promise that says when the word goes out that the temple's going to be restored, start waiting because the 70 weeks have started. <laughs> the Old Testament ends with a ticking clock, which is why people get so excited about the years. They're waiting to see when the 77s will, will be finished. Right, and so when the, the original hearers of this story of the 70 weeks, they were so excited that the Messiah was coming, they said, this is how they wrote the book. Right? It just ends with, now go wait. Go wait for the 70 weeks. Right? And when Matthew starts with the book of genealogy and says, this is the genealogy of the Messiah, he's saying, the waiting started in Chronicles is over. The Messiah is here. Right? The 70 weeks, part of that has been fulfilled. So cool. So, chart a path, verse 24 describes the whole period. Verse 25 describes 69 of the weeks, right? You can do a little bit of math. There's 62 weeks and seven. Uh, in the middle, verses 26 and 27 seem to be two different descriptions of the same last week, the same time period. That's how I process this, right? So if you look at God's determination to end sin and trouble for his people, right? verse 25 says, The waiting starts from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. Right? And then for 62 weeks, Jerusalem shall be built again with squares, which is another way to talk about streets coming together, and moats, meaning the defenses around the city wall. Right? Jerusalem's going to be restored in a troubled time, which sounds an awful lot like Nehemiah, right? Jerusalem was rebuilt in the midst of trouble. It also sounds like our life today, so that's part of the ambiguity here, <laughs> right? But you get to verse 26, and this is where the, the messianic stuff, the, the stuff about Jesus is beautiful. It says, an, an anointed one shall be cut off. Uh, your Bible might say, not for himself, or he shall have nothing. It depends on your translation. But at some point, at the end of this period, an anointed one, a Messiah, shall be cut off. And to be cut off is judgment language. Right? The most holy shall be forsaken. Right? It's not, it, everybody, if you're a Christian... It's hard not to think about Jesus 
In the words of Isaiah 53, who by oppression and judgment was taken away, he was cut off from the land of the living, who died for the transgression of God's people, and he was cut off not for himself, but for sinners, for you, for me. Or if it's saying, he shall be cut off and he shall have nothing, Isaiah 53 paints the same picture of Jesus being so poor, he was buried in another man's grave. A rich man's grave. And then comes Jerusalem being destroyed in the temple in 70 ADs and wars and desolations. That's verse 26. Verse 27 also sounds like Jesus. He's going to make a strong covenant with many to put an end to sacrifice and offering. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who was judged once for all time. There's no more need for sacrifices. And he makes a covenant to take away our sins, to atone for our iniquity. It also sounds like Isaiah 53, verse 11. That God's servant shall make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And then verse 27 at the end comes the abominations, the destruction of the temple, and then the end of that desolator, the end of that guy gets justice. That's one way through it. Yeah, do that with, we can talk about it later if you want to to know what some of the other ideas are. But I, I think what's helpful is to tie Daniel's vision together, which will lead us to the Lord's Supper. All right. Daniel had his waiting corrected, didn't he? Right? It's good to love Jerusalem. It's good to love justice. It's good to long for things to change here on earth right now. It's good to want God's people to be free from captivity in Babylon. It's good to want selfishness to change and suffering to end. But God showed Daniel that God's people had some trouble to go through. To long for the end of sin long for atonement for iniquity right I, I don't know what you're longing for i'm not saying don't wait for it or don't long for it but put it in the context of the big picture of the bible right because what that does is it sets us free from cynicism to say nothing will ever change but it also keeps us free from just blind optimism to say that we have to do everything we can right now to make paradise on earth because no man can do that because of iniquity. My selfishness always gets involved. Right. So wait for everlasting righteousness. And then second, when you read these things, yeah, it is fuzzy, but I think that's the point. Daniel was shown the Messiah, a fuzzy, far-off picture of a, a person cut off, not for himself, dying with nothing, making a strong covenant with many, Right? He just sees a picture of a person, anointed, most holy. Yet if he's cut off, he's being treated like a covenant breaker, like the worst, like a faithless adulterer, in order to atone for our iniquity. And so that's the wonder of this passage, is it tells you the gospel before it happened in real space and real time with Jesus. That in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ, says Paul, 
God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And then he gives to us then that message of reconciliation. Right? It's for our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. That's amazing. It's a great exchange. God treats us better than we can deserve, and then he treats us as if we've never done anything wrong and lived the life that the Messiah lived so that we might right now, by reputation (laughs) in God's eyes, start to enjoy everlasting righteousness. And one day, that down payment will come in full, and we'll be righteous as Jesus is righteous. But until that day, we get to point people to Jesus. We're, we're, given, we're given, just like Daniel gave that message that he received to God's people to hope and wait and long for, we take the message of Jesus to give to the world to say your sin, your guilt, your shame, your anger, your rage, your misplaced hopes, all those things can find deep, deep, real satisfaction in Jesus. Right. To look forward to the end of selfishness together. So that's what we're going to do. This morning when we come to the table, have our waiting sharpened. As we look back (laughs) and see our sin forgiven, as we look forward to the day when everlasting righteousness comes, when Jesus returns. And that's the purpose of all these visions. And we're going to get into more next week. Chapters 10 through 12 are one big long vision. I'm trying to figure out how to break that down so it's helpful. But all these visions of the future, they're, they're there for us. So that when you and I are in the valley of the shadow of death, when you're just beaten up by life, by, by your sin and your own shame, because you blew it again, or you're really, really ticked off at someone over there because they hurt you, right? And you wonder, God, what are you up to? These are the mountains you look forward to, the places you just meditate on, you sigh for, you groan for with all of creation, right? That when the clouds are so thick and you can't see the sun, you got to go look up to the mountains to see that the Messiah came. He took away your sin and he promises to come again. And since he didn't lie the first time, he came and, and fulfilled that promise. We trust that he will come again to finish the work he started. See, we can say to ourselves, and this is what we ought to say to ourselves as Christians, how goes the world? <laughs> the world doesn't go well, but God's kingdom comes. And so we say with the psalmist, wait for the Lord. In his word we hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. So hope in the Lord, for with him is steadfast love. There's plentiful redemption, and he promises to redeem Israel, his people, from all their iniquities. So rest in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the hope you've given us in Christ, and I pray that you would, well, relieve our our beleaguered consciences, our beaten up selves from our own failure. I pray you would show us the depths of your love which is greater than we can imagine, even as you show us the cost that it takes to love us, the death of your Son. 
And so I, I pray you would form us into a people who are your ambassadors, armed with that great message of reconciliation, that Jesus became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so do these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.